Happy Easter, or, oh my goodness, what just happened? You check my fly real quick, okay, we're good. Can we start over? Merry Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas Eve, 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 that's what we're calling it, right? Yeah, almost there. How's it going? Um, I, love the, I love the joy, I love the vibe in the room, it's great. The kids, they're, they're good, they're good for, for a laugh. They're wonderful. Um, and it's so important because, look, I, I, I grew up in, in a home where Christmas was a happy time of the year, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm also very aware of the fact that that's just not always the case for everyone. And uh, for some of you, you're like, man, I, this, is, this is a hard time of the year, and it's kind of why I'm here because I'm, I'm looking for some hope, for some comfort, and uh, I want to be totally sensitive to that, but, uh, but let's... Uh, Let's enjoy the moment. Um, we're together. Jesus is with us. It's one of his great promises that when we gather together, when his people gather together uh, in his name, I mean, to, to meet with him, he's with us by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ is present with us. Um, and what a gift that is. Um, there's something about the presence of God that goes beyond words. We can talk about God, and I reckon that's, that's a good thing. We do that. I do that a lot. Um, kind of made a whole, whole career out of it somehow. I love it. But to know that God is present with us in a way that goes beyond words, ideas, even, even our feelings, He's present with us. What a gift. What a gift. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did make this unreal promise. And when we come together like this, looking to meet with you, experiencing more of you, truth, grace, that you are present, that you are with us. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us to enjoy your presence and to not miss the things that you want to do, the subtle things, the amazing things. Help us not to miss you this morning because you truly are the reason we're here. It's not about me. It's not about anyone else in this room, really. We're here to meet with you. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us to have eyes that are open, hearts that are, are soft and attentive to whatever it is that's on your heart for us today, this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the Christmas story uh, according to Matthew. There's four gospels, four books in the New Testament that tell the story, uh, the life, the, the works, the words, uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all essentially are telling the same story, but they have their very unique perspectives, which is wonderful. It's one of the, the reasons I love the Bible. We're going to look at Matthew's perspective this morning and the way he tells the story of how Jesus was born. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it or turn it on and read with me, if you will, from Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or legally uh, promised to be wed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a decent guy, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because in that culture, um, it would have been a bad, bad situation for a woman to be found pregnant pre-wedding day. But he was a decent guy. So he said, Mary, let's let's just settle this quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying... Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. Emmanuel. It was a prophecy made by Isaiah, or Isaiah, whichever you prefer, about 700 years prior to this night. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not sexually until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. God saves us. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about grace. Um, and in fact, if there's, you guys have the, the images? Yeah, there we go. We've been talking about grace and virtually every week we've emphasized the, the fact that grace is something that God has secured for us. It's his, it's his disposition towards us. It's his uh, power for us. It's so many things about God's goodness for us Oftentimes, even despite us, simply because God loves us. But we've emphasized the fact that grace cost God something. It cost him his own son, Jesus, entered into creation and secured grace for us by laying down his own life, by suffering and dying for our sins. This is how God saves us 
from our sins. This is how Jesus pulled it off. It's an epic story of how God has secured grace. But no epic is truly complete without the origin story. Christmas is that. Christmas is the origin story of grace. It's where grace began. The moment that God became one of us, began to live among us. It's how Jesus was born. This morning, I want to talk about the witness of God. Not the witness, but God with us. And the implications of that. You know, every, uh, every year around this time, I remember my first Christmas uh, with Shirley, my wife. Where'd she go? There you are. Hello. And uh, I'd only been, we were both living in the UK. We were in London. And I'd been there just a few months, surely closer to a year, over a year. And I don't remember whose idea it was, but our first Christmas Eve together, we weren't married yet, we decided that we would go find a soup kitchen uh, to serve in. And so we did. That was our first Christmas Eve, was it not? Yeah. So we found a soup kitchen in London, and we thought this would be, this would be good. And uh, it felt very very Christian. It was nice. And we signed up to serve in this soup kitchen and it was full of a bunch of, uh, bunch of people, people living on the streets, sleeping rough, and obviously no family, no one to be with on Christmas Eve, so we were there just trying to bless them. Um, some people were in the kitchen preparing food, others were sort of out just mingling. I, I was sort of put on, on the mingling duty and my job was just to, just to hang out with these guys, listen to their stories, um, bless them, pray for them if, this, if there was the opportunity. So I ended up playing uh, cards with a guy. I can't remember his name. I can, I can see him vividly as if it was yesterday. Big, burly guy, big old beard. Obviously, it would appear he'd been sleeping rough for some time. And we start playing this card game. And, uh, and he was just dominating me. I could not win him once for the life of me. Um, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, man, I really want to, I want to tell this guy about Jesus. I thought this, this is what will bless him more than anything. I mean, what else, what else can I do for him now in this moment? I really want to tell him about Jesus. And as the night went on, I was feeling more and more anxious about it. Like, how am I going to insert Jesus into this card game? And, um, I, eventually, I think I just kind of blurted it out. I just said, hey, what, what are your thoughts on the Lord? What do you know about Jesus? <laughs> Super smooth. <laughs> and he looked at me. He got kind of quiet, felt awkward. And he reaches his big old bear paw into his pocket. And he pulls his hand, his hand out. And he goes like this. And he opens it up. And he's got this tiny little wooden cross in his hand. And he says, brother, I've been walking with Jesus for decades now. He's always helped me. He's never left me. Jesus is my best friend. (laughs) 
And then I realized, as one often does in a moment like that, that I was the one sent to the soup kitchen to be ministered to. (laughs) That I was the one that was going to leave blessed that night. Humbled, because I couldn't win this card game for the life of me. (laughs) But this man, who had no family, who'd been sleeping on the streets for God only knows how long, He knew something about what it meant to live with Jesus. He knew of the withness of God. And it was very humbling. I want to take you on a bit of a journey through the scriptures. Um, Occasionally, I'll begin to do a deep dive into a particular subject. I'll be studying the Bible. And when you do this, you'll come across... Uh, like mega themes, meta narratives. And there's a particular theme that just screams off the pages of the Bible over and over. And I wanna, I wanna show you guys what I'm talking about. So this will take about five minutes, bear with me. If you're like a Bible nerd, you're gonna love this. If not, just hang, hang in there. <laughs> Genesis 26, the Lord said to Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the name of my son. Abraham, the father of our faith, says to his son, sojourn in this land and the Lord will be with you and will bless you for to you and your offspring, he has promised to give all of these lands and he will establish the oath that he swore to me, your father. Go, he will be with you. Eventually, Isaac, he meets Rebekah, and they have two sons, Jacob and Esau. As it turns out, Jacob is a bit of a manipulative jerk, and he virtually wrecks his family, and he has to run, leave the country for fear of losing his life. His brother Esau um, doesn't like him, And so he leaves, but eventually in Genesis 31, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your brother, and I will be with you. Eventually, Jacob, after making amends with his brother, the one who God ends up renaming Israel, has sons of his own, 12 in fact. One of his sons, Joseph, also has a bit of a falling out with his family. Only this time, instead of running, his brothers decide to sell him into slavery, human trafficking. He ends up in Egypt as a slave working for Pharaoh. In Genesis 48, God says to Joseph, or rather, Joseph's father, Israel, says to him, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your father's. The family of Israel all all end up living in Egypt as slaves. This lasts for about 400 years until finally, when the timing was just right, the timing, God calls a man named Moses. And in Exodus chapter three, God calls Moses and says, I want to use you to lead my people out of slavery back to the land that I promised to your fathers. 
And Moses responds by saying, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt? And God's response, but I will be with you. And God was with Moses. And with awesome power, the Lord delivered his people out of bondage and led them to the mountain where they were to worship him. Unfortunately, God's people ended up making a complete debacle out of the whole situation. Only days after they had been set free by God out of slavery in Egypt, they decide to forget about him and they build a golden calf and begin to worship this thing as some kind of idol. They completely blow it. And so God ends up saying to Moses, he says, tell my people to go ahead and go on without me. I will give them the land, the promised land that I swore to my friend Abraham. I'm not gonna break that promise, but I'm not coming with you. I'm not coming with you. Moses, um, being the great leader that he was, calls the people to repent and then immediately begins to cry out to God for mercy. Fortunately, as it turns out, God is rich in mercy. And he gives his people a second chance. He ends up saying in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses responds in this utterly paradigmatic statement. He says this, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, we don't just want the land. We don't just want the promise. We don't want to go without you. In fact, we refuse. Don't send us unless you promise to go with us us and so God says very well let's go and this goes on and on and on and on as the story continues in Deuteronomy chapter 2 Moses now near the end of his life he reminds the people he says the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands he knows you're going through this great wilderness is anyone going through a great wilderness in life right now I'm not going to raise my hand. I wouldn't either. He says, he knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Deuteronomy 31, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Many years later, this is my favorite one, in the face of certain death, generations have gone by, a lot has gone down, ups and downs, wins and losses. Once again, God's people tend to make a debacle out of everything. They find themselves facing one of their greatest enemies yet, and they're terrified. But King Jehoshaphat, one of the great God-fearing leaders of old, says to the Lord's people in 2 Chronicles 20, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, 
hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with us. And now, as we live in the aftermath of Easter, now that God has come to be with us, now that God has died for us, now that God has overcome death and secured grace on our behalf, Jesus makes this promise. This is John 14. Jesus said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and I will give you another, the helper. He's talking about the very spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit. I will give you another to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of grace, the spirit of Christ, the very presence of God. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will never leave you. I won't forsake you. God didn't just come once. He came And promised, I will never, ever leave you. I will be with you forever. What are the implications of the withness of God? Have you ever thought to yourself, because if you're a Christian, none of this should be particularly new. You may have not realized that this has been like a promise from the beginning, that this is how God rescues his people He doesn't just drop bombs on baddies from above. He comes and is with his people. This is how he sets free. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is the withness of God that we experience grace within. What would it be like to live our lives with this increasing awareness that God is with us, Christian friend of mine. Fearless, compassionate, patient, lonely. Hmm. What are the implications? God is with us. How do you know God is with you? Let's say, look, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm assuming maybe perhaps some of you are not. So, I'd love to invite you to experience this for yourself. But suppose you have been at least trying to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, trust in Jesus, experience Jesus in your life. And you've been at it, gosh, for a while now. You've been coming to church. You've been singing the songs. You even read your Bible. And you're like, I am am all in for Jesus. But on... Sometimes, many days, I'm not feeling the witness of God. How do I know God is with me? Is it meant to feel a certain way? Am I, should there be um, a, a particular sign that I'm waiting for? You know, I remember when I was a little kid, Christmas Eve was the night that my parents would get up after my, my brothers and my sister and I were in bed and they would cunningly create this like, it was almost like forensic situation where they would create this, this scene so that when the kids got up, they would actually, we would think that Santa Claus 
had been in the house. There would be the plate there. We'd put out the cookies, the milk. We'd even put a carrot for the, you know, Rudolph. We'd get up the next day. Of course, there would only be crumbs. The milk would be drinking. The carrot would be like halfway gnawed down. And boot prints in the ashes in the fireplace. And I totally bought it. I mean, it was convincing. Of course, you know, you get a bit older. I started to grow up, and eventually I realized my parents were liars. (laughs) And they completely tricked us into believing that this guy with the gifts was actually breaking into our house at night through the chimney, nonetheless, and leaving gifts for us. Have you ever felt that way about God with you? Like, is this just a story that I've been told so many times and want to believe it's true that perhaps I've convinced myself that it is? I, I thought that. Like, I'll, I'll admit it. I know I'm not supposed to. Not, not like from the pulpit. I'll admit it. Yeah. God, are you with me? Are you with me? Is it supposed to feel different? Am I supposed to be happier? Should I feel more fulfilled? Should I be more fearless? Should I be much more content? Should my marriage be better? Should I be more healthy? Should I be a generally happier person? Yes, I I would like to think all of those things. But if not, is God still with me? Is he still true? Can I take him at his word? Yes, some of you are saying yes, I agree. I totally agree. But I want to state the, the, the fact that it doesn't necessarily always feel that way. How do you know that God is with you? What's it supposed to feel like? You know, sometimes I think that uh, our problem as Christians, if I can just be totally frank, is that we're expecting something rather spectacular. And maybe we wouldn't necessarily like say it that way, but we're expecting something God hasn't necessarily promised us. We're expecting fireworks. We're expecting, like, you know, I always think back to when I met Shirley. I had prayed and prayed and prayed for years. Not 40, but for years for a wife. I felt like I was wandering through a desert. And there were moments where I thought, God, are you with me? Are you listening to me? I felt like a kid wandering through the mall, lost, crying out, Mama, Mama, like, are you there? Have you lost me? Did I lose you? What went wrong? Are you punishing me? Is it just a fairy tale? And there are moments when the witness of God doesn't feel like reality. And that's true, and that's hard. And I reckon you and I aren't the first people on planet Earth to have ever felt that way. For me, one of the greatest sort of arguments that I make to myself when it comes to the witness of God 
is I think back over the last 20 years of my life. It was November 17th, 1999, that I first experienced Jesus, or at least in a, in a very real adult way. Senior year at university, Cal State Long Beach, I was sitting in a room, and I heard the gospel. I heard some guy stand up on the stage and very simply but boldly proclaim that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He sent his son Jesus to die for your sins so that you can be forgiven and come back into a relationship with your maker. And if you'll surrender your life to him, if you'll turn from your old junk, stop being your own God, stop being the, the center of your own universe and surrender to Jesus. You can experience the life you were given life for in the first place. And I said, yes, I want it. Sign me up. My life sucks. And I felt like I was with God. That was 20 years ago. And I've been through ups and downs and seasons and there's been highs and there's been lows. But when I look back, I would be out of my mind to deny that God has been with me all along. And it's not necessarily been in just like an ongoing nonstop series of spectacular moments and feelings. In fact, a lot of it has felt like valleys and shadows and hard things and pain and suffering. And like as if God is trying to form something in me of his heart, his character, like Christ. And God has been with me and I can't deny it. I cannot deny it. I have denied it, but I can't deny it. Too much fruit, too much evidence. And that's not even to mention the fact that there's actually very compelling evidence for the truth of the Bible. I remember the first time I read a book on evidence for the resurrection. Guys, if you've never, if you've never read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, it's a classic and you gotta read it. You gotta read it. I dare you. If you're a skeptic, if you're not a believer, I dare you. Read it. With an open mind, ready to think critically and be challenged. It's not gonna give you empirical evidence, scientific proof for the resurrection of Jesus, but I promise you, if you're honest, it will challenge you. And you might need to rethink what you think about the reality of God and the one who has power over life and death. But the resurrection aside, just follow him. Invite God to be with you in your life to lead the way and do it for a decade or two or three. Because, you know, Jesus didn't just come to save the day. He came to save your life. You can trust him not just for an afternoon, you can trust him for the decade. And you'll realize over time that when God promised to never leave us, to never abandon us as orphans, he wasn't lying. God is with us. The, um, if we keep reading Matthew, we read about the magi from the east, these, uh, like these mystical wise men that see a star 
apparently they're like astronomers. And they're watching the stars and they've heard prophetic tales of this king, the descendant of David who was to come at a particular time in history and begin restoring uh, Israel and recreating the world. So they saw this star in heaven, they followed it. And you can imagine they were perhaps expecting something rather spectacular. Only when they arrived, all were told they just saw a little boy and his mom. And they left worshiping and glorifying the God of heaven. And Luke, we're told that there was uh, some shepherds out in the countryside just outside of Bethlehem, the night that Jesus was born, some angels appeared to these shepherds out of the side of this hill. And it was glorious and they were terrified and these angels revealed themselves and they said, behold, today a king is being born in Bethlehem. And all of the heavens erupt in worship and they're glorifying God. And could you imagine being a shepherd out in the countryside, sitting around your little fire, trying to stay warm, and all of a sudden the entire cosmos is lit up with angels and it's just spontaneous worship in heaven. And so they leave, they say, we should go check this situation out. Let's go find this king. And somehow they found him. And what did they see? A child lying in a donkey trough, a manger, not super spectacular, but it says they left glorifying God. I think sometimes, for whatever reason, I could rant a little while about American culture and our obsession with celebrity and the spectacular and all these unreal sorts of realities that we're all aspiring towards and how God doesn't seem at all interested in pretense or posture and he just enters into dark places with humility in the most incredibly unspectacular way imaginable. And that's how God rolls. And how often do we miss him because we're looking for something that he never promised us. I think about when Jesus, he was crucified and they came back from the dead as he predicted. And he's walking down this road. This is Luke 24. He's walking down this road to some little town called Emmaus. And there's two of his disciples that he intersects paths with. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And he says, Who, where are you coming from? Have you not heard Jesus of Nazareth, this mighty prophet who we thought was going to come and, and restore the kingdom of God at this time, but the Romans got a hold of him, our leaders had him off, and now he's dead, and we're just, we're, we're hopeless, we're despairing. And Jesus is like, huh. So the man that they're talking about is walking alongside of them, playing along. Huh, oh, interesting. Tell me more. Where are you guys going, by the way? So they end up spending the evening together, and they share a meal. And as Jesus breaks the bread, like what he did on the eve of his crucifixion, he breaks the bread, and he passes the cup, and it says that their eyes were open, and they realized that the man is with us. Jesus, our risen savior, was just walking down the road with us. We were talking about him as if he wasn't even in the room, and there he was. I think one of the reasons why we struggle to live in the wake of God's witness is because we're looking for something that he's not. 
there is a human tendency that we have. We want the spectacular. We also want the stuff. We tend to have this, uh, we, for some reason, maybe it's just me, but I do have this tendency to subconsciously equate Jesus with Santa Claus. <laughs> like, what I want you to do for me is to heal me, is to restore my marriage, is to fix my kids, is to fill my bank account. I want you to do all this stuff for me. I don't necessarily need you with me. Just drop off the gifts and I'll be stoked. And of course, I don't ever actually say that out loud or consciously think that, but occasionally I do relapse into Santa Claus Jesus thinking. And I miss him. Because God doesn't just want to give us grace. You know, like kind of, well, grace. You can't, you can't, if you're listening, you have no idea. I'm sprinkling grace on the people. Grace. And it's as if God says, I can do better. Let me be with you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God never promised to erase our problems. In fact, you've heard it a million times, you've seen the meme. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I am with you. I am with you. What else? God's solution. We are meant to view ourselves like the bride of Christ. You know one of my favorite parts about getting married? You know one of my favorite parts about getting married? Was not having to say goodbye at the end of the night. Such a simple little thing living on two sides of the city, just sort of like seeing how far we can stretch it before I miss the night bus to get home. And we used to think, man, how amazing will it be at the end of the night we, and we can like hug and kiss each other and say, you wanna go to bed? How glorious will that be not to have to leave each other? And Jesus, he calls us to be his bride so we don't have to kiss and part ways at the end of the night and hope that maybe we can meet up again the next day or maybe sometime next week. He says, I wanna live with you. I wanna make my home with you, in you, if you can get your head around that. I wanna know you in a way where we never ever say goodbye again. And I reckon this is a total miracle not that God promised to always be with us, but that our eyes would be open, that we could actually live our lives as if it were true. So that when I wake up feeling full of anxiety, as if the God who created the universe has somehow lost control of my little world, my little life, and my big problems, what a miracle it would be if I could wake up 
feel my anxiety and say, "Mm mm-hmm, but God, you're with me. And you uphold the universe by the word of your power. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are the master of redemption. You have a way of working all these things together for good, for my good, for my family's good. Because I love you and you love me and you've called me according to your purposes and you're working something together and it hurts, but you're with me. You've not just given me a few tools and said, good luck, kid, see you next year if you make the nice list. He said, no, I'm with you and I'm never gonna leave you and I'm gonna fight for you and I'm gonna give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. And even when you're at the end, even when you're getting ready to cross over, I'll say, child, I'm still with you. I've got you by the hand. I never left you. Now let's go. What a miracle it would be if we could live life like that. If instead of feeling overwhelmed by despair because my marriage is in shambles, and my marriage is actually great, just so you know. (laughs) But instead of being overwhelmed with hopelessness, What if I woke up in the morning? What if I went to bed tonight saying, no, I have hope because my God is with me. Because the author of all life, because the one who conquered death is with me. You know, it says in John, what is it, chapter five, Jesus was conversing with some uh, religious people These guys were experts of Torah, the Pharisees. And Jesus said in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think within them you have eternal life, not realizing that it's they that testify of me. Hello, I'm here, it's me. Some of us approach God's word. Now hear me carefully. I wanna be very nuanced here. Some of us, we, we pour through the scriptures thinking that somehow if I can find the secret verse that unlocks all wisdom in the universe and somehow that's going to make my life better. The Bible doesn't just point us to abstract truthisms. As I pour through the scriptures, who do I meet? God himself, God with me. It's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who's made his home inside of me. I read my Bible every day, and I do. I read it every day. I pour through it. I study it. I meditate upon it because I want to experience more of God with me. He's our answer. Let me close with a quote, and then I'm going to invite our band to come up. This is uh, Brother Lawrence, that famous 17th century French brother. They referred to him as a lay brother. He wasn't even like an actual monk. He was like the, the monastery cook. And this is what he said. The most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is, every moment to take great pleasure that God is with you. This is, this is the miracle of Christmas. This is what the cosmos was waiting for on Christmas Eve. Angels were holding their breath, waiting for the king 
the God who came to be with his people, his children, forever. Worship team, would you join me up front, please? Can we stand together, please? You're now listening to Grace City Portland.